Look up idiots in the dictionary. You know what you'll find? A picture of me? No! The definition of the word idiot, which you fucking are! Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to I Do Movies Badly, a podcast exploration of my cinematic ignorance. I am your host, Jim Rohner, and despite being an amateur film critic since 2006, I am woefully ignorant of many films, filmmakers, and genres that consensus has deemed important, and thus I have created this podcast to document my journey into cinematic edification. This month, I'm exploring the films of Jim Jarmusch, as recommended by Kristen Sales, and this week's episode, I'll be wrapping up Jim Jarmusch and the month of June with his 1989 film, Mystery Train. Two little bits of housekeeping before I get into the episode. First and foremost is I am very sorry for the delay in this. Uh, the posting of this episode, things have been very busy for me and I wasn't able to get around uh, to recording until tonight, so it's a day late. I, I know I have been um, apologizing profusely very recently because of uh, many life-related delays, um, but I, I am very sorry uh, and I am trying to be as regular with this podcast as I possibly can, but uh, in the words of John Lennon, life is what happens when you're making other plans. Um, and the second piece of housekeeping is um, I would just like to say that um, in the mail I received recently um, a, a little piece of, of, of book. <laughs> well, it was just a book. Uh, worth watching movie reviews and essays by Tyler Smith. I have I re- received this book in the mail because I uh, donated to the, the Kickstarter. Uh, but if you did not donate to the Kickstarter, you should uh, pick up this book anyway. Um, it is basically a, a compilation of some... Uh, a lot of movie reviews that Tyler has written, as well as well as the title implies, also some essays that I, I, I believe uh, you can only find in the book. If I am incorrect about that, Tyler, please feel free to correct me on that. But even if you didn't contribute to the Kickstarter, you should pick up this book anyway. Uh, Tyler's a very intelligent person, I'm sure, as you've... Um, uh, gleaned from listening to this podcast, um, most recently his appearance here talking about Orson Welles, um, Films of Faith, and kicking off this podcast with David Mamet way back in September of 2014. Uh, but his uh, he's, a, he's a very good writer as well, so I'm just, that's, you know, you can hear me flipping through the pages. I actually have a book here in front of me. Uh, you should pick it up as well. I have put the link um, for the book on the I Do Movies Badly Facebook page, but uh, I will do it again because you really should uh, pick up this book. It's going to be worth your time. Also, I do want to apologize again. Wow, less than like five minutes into this episode, and I've already apologized twice for two entirely separate um, things. But um, if you uh, if you just listen very carefully, I'm not sure if you can hear the bass and the cheers, but uh, the bar downstairs is uh, there appears to be some um, celebration going on because I suppose why not? It's a Wednesday night. That's a perfectly good reason to celebrate something um so i've had all the windows and doors closed in my apartment but it's still kind of leaking through and i apologize um for any background noise i'm going to push through it and hopefully uh it's not too distracting um i i should be rambling uh incoherently enough where uh that you might take your focus off of whatever house and dance music is going on downstairs and you can set focus on wow why am I still listening to uh, this guy? He has no idea what he's talking about. But um, Mystery Train. Why don't we talk about Mystery Train? That's why we're all here, right? Um, I have to say, um, if you remember last week's episode in which I was talking about Dead Man, uh, I was, I, I, I can't say discouraged, but I, I you know, I, I responded or, or didn't respond. I, I guess my, my lack of response to Dead Man was so pervasive that I started wondering, you know, maybe I, I had misjudged or misinterpreted or... Uh, 
just missed something with Patterson because I liked Patterson and Dead Man kind of fell so flat to me. I've gotten a lot of flack from that, by the way. Kristen Sales uh, was <laughs> did not um, was not too happy about that, and actually, um, uh, my improv comedy teacher also was uh, was quite um, taken aback by the. Oh, there, there's the bass kicking in. She was also quite taken aback by the fact that I did not seem to respond to Dead Man. Uh, they both uh, were very vehement in telling me that I was wrong. Um, which I'm willing to admit that that is entirely the case, and maybe someday I will go back and revisit Dead Man. But uh, the important thing is that the, my, my response to Dead Man was so lacking that I kind of, it almost kind of cast a different light on Patterson. And I can say now that. Well, I, I really liked Mystery Train. I liked Mystery Train so much that I actually started rethinking my rethinking of Dead Man and actually started um, not rethinking, but looking at Patterson in a different way. This, you know, Mystery Train was sort of, to me, the capstone of, I don't want to say Jim Jarmusch's oeuvre or career because I've only seen three, well, for the purposes of this podcast, three movies, but four if we count uh, Stranger Than Fiction or Stranger Than Paradise. Sorry, Stranger Than Fiction is an entirely different movie. Um... But I liked Mystery Train so much that it's sort of, it's like I said, it was a, it was sort of a capstone. It, it kind of encapsulated, I think, everything that I had been seeing in Patterson and Dead Man, at least in regards to themes, um, recurring notes, things that, 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 you know, it was so good and so strong in what uh, I think encapsulates what, what Jarmish is. That's such a nebulous term, but but it encapsulated so much of, of Jarmusch's work and, and and what I'm seeing of Jim Jarmusch as a filmmaker that it made the other two movies make more sense and made this collection as these three films kind of a coherent look at one of the most coherent looks of of a of a filmmaker I've covered on this podcast, which is very strong words because I I've talked to some very intelligent people, I've watched some great movies from some great filmmakers, and yet these three films from Jarmish, uh, Patterson, Dead Man, and Mystery Train, I think are, are sort of the most, I don't, I don't know, have encapsulated a filmmaker the best of any three films that I've seen uh, on here for any filmmaker, which is certainly saying something because looking back at, at, at some of the filmmakers I've covered, I mean, even David Lean with Lawrence of Arabia, Bridge on the River Kwai, and Dr. Zhivago, I mean, it seems like, well, those are the three quintessential David Lean films, and that, that should tell you everything. So, I, I, I don't know, you can feel free to disagree with me, but it's just, Mystery Train made so much sense and was so good that it made the other two movies make sense and provided context for them. And I don't know if that would have happened if I had watched these in a different order. But starting with Patterson, then going to Dead Man, and and, and then proceeding into Mystery Train, um, everything just sort of uh, made sense. Like, like, like it, it was... Mystery Train was the, was the destination that I was supposed to arrive at, which is kind of telling and poetic, I guess, because Mystery Train, as well as these other movies, all kind of deal with travel and with a journey, I think, on a surface level and on, and on a thematic level um, as well. Um, and, and I guess I, I was sitting, if, if you if you pay attention to the I Do Movies Facebook page at all, you'll notice the picture that I posted that I was watching Mystery Train, which is a, a, a picture from um, the first... Uh, the first film, uh, or, or the first, I guess, what do you want to call it, segment or snippet, whatever, for Mystery Train, um, in which um, uh, our, our young uh, male uh, Japanese protagonist is looking out the window, and he sees the train going by in downtown Me uh, Memphis, and he says, this is, a, he's saying, this is America. And there was something so perfect about the image that was being shown at that moment with 
the train kind of traveling over the bridge on, a, on an empty, abandoned, dark downtown street in Memphis. One building is, is not occupied because it is boarded up, because it's probably not even open during the day. Uh, and another building is barely lit because there's like one floor. I don't know. Go, go on the Facebook page and look at it. But it just seemed, it seemed like at, when I saw that shot, when I saw that moment, I just kind of thought like... I, I see it. I see what Jarmish is doing here. And it just and I was able to sort of delight in the movie as I was watching it and kind of once again rethinking everything that I had seen before. Um, because I, I think and this is such a, a, a broad, pretentious thing to say, but I, I think I, I don't want to say that I think this is what Jarmish is about as a filmmaker, but I, but I'm going to say this is how I responded to Jarmish. This is this is what I derive from these three movies, from what I can tell about Jim Jarmish, which makes him now, or or I should say, which makes me now respond to him as a filmmaker, as I think a quintessentially American filmmaker. This isn't the first American filmmaker I've covered on IMDb. I'm sorry, IDMB. Sorry, uh, Internet Movie Database, I did not mean to infringe on your territory. Uh, but, you know, I, I've done John Carpenter, uh, I've done Billy Wilder, who is, yes, Austrian, but, you know, made his, uh, certainly his career took off, and be, and, and he, he kind of became associated with a lot of um, archetypes and characteristics of America, specifically the American studio system. Um, I mean, David Mamet, I kicked off with David Mamet. I've done Universal Classic Horror Movies, which are, you know, which are mostly American productions. Mostly American productions. I realize not all of them are produced in America. Um, and, and, you know, certainly the source material was not all American either. But, you know, th this is not the first uh, uh, American filmmaker I've been covering. And I, I, think, I think Jim Jarmusch is the most American filmmaker in regards to, I think what we value about America in regards to it, 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 it as a society as it is now and as it used to be, and also how it is, what we value it or, 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 or the, the depiction of it in an artistic form. And, and none of that really makes any sense. And I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I once again, because of how busy things have been for me, I don't have notes. I'm not going off of notes. I'm just kind of winging it here, but I made some bullet points in my head, and I really hope that at the end of this episode, one, it's coherent, and two, I have covered everything that I told myself earlier in the day I was going to cover. But this is why I think, th this is both what I, what I think, okay, once again, stepping back, this is, this thought that I'm about to say is what made Jarmish make sense to me, what allowed his work to resonate with me, and I also think is what makes him a quintessentially American filmmaker. And I think it's because I see this thread running through his films, or at least in the sense of, I think there's something very, I'm sorry if I'm, if I'm going to mispronounce this word, elegaic? Um relating to or characteristic of an elegy. Um, I, I see that in his movies. It, it, like, in, in regards to um, a legacy... You hear that, right? <laughs> Definitely hear that now. But a, a legacy of these American cities that, the, that his films take place in, um, and I realize that Dead Man doesn't take place in City, but I'm going to get to that. Um, you know, it's not that it's anything... I don't know, Patterson is indicative of Patterson, and Mystery Train is indicative of Memphis, and there are things in those movies which are specific to those locales, but I think if you had set Patterson in, I don't know, let's say St. Louis, or in 
Detroit. I don't know. I, I, I don't think that it's... It's not that these cities are not special, but I just think that what Jarmish would have been able to do if he set his movie in any city would have been able to bring an elegy to it in the sense of what these cities used to be and what they are now. Connected by, um, you know, not only visuals, but also this thematic... Uh, or, or this this motif of travel, of, of, of traversing distances, of traversing time, of traversing cultures. There is this theme throughout his entire work of a point A and a point B. And most of the time, um, a our characters like like you know our characters are are kind of going from point A to point B. A lot of times in a location which has arrived at point B in in time and, and in, in, in regards to development or devolvement. Um, I don't want to say devolvement. That makes it seem like Memphis and Patterson and all these kind of things are, are, are sort of being broken down because I don't think at all that Jarmish is cynical about the state of the city of Patterson or the state of the city of Memphis. There instead seems to be a, a I said this in Patterson, a pride, a pride hanging on to a legacy not necessarily mourning that it's gone, but a, a pride and a recognition that this is what it once was, and this is worth remembering uh, about it. I mean, and that's what that's what art can do too. That's what poetry can do. That's what music can do. That's what films can do is in regard to capturing an image of a time and a, and a place of of a of a legacy of an importance of something that happened. Elvis has been dead for a long time. Carl Perkins has been dead for a long time. The industry in the city of Patterson has been dead for a long time. Um, Memphis, uh, you know, the, 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 the legacy of Memphis, not even the legacy, but the Memphis as, a, and if I do have any listeners in Memphis, in Tennessee, feel free by all means to, to, to chime in and correct me, but Memphis as this incubator of this, specific kind of, of music and talent it seems like that has 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 been has been long gone too but it was the case at some point and Jarmish is hanging on to those things is remembering those things maybe there is a little bit of mourning I'm sure as an artist I'm sure as a as a poet as a filmmaker as a musician he does mourn the fact that this is not the way it is anymore but there is an appreciation and a hanging on of like but this is how it used to be and this is worth remembering I mean um, are the the couple at the beginning of Mystery Train come to Memphis they want to see Graceland they want to see um, what is it? I believe Star Records. I mean, they want to see all these things, and you kind of see them walking through this broken down, decrepit town. And I kept kind of expecting them to, to give into being morose. I mean, especially the male. You know, he's just always got that 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 blank, downcast face on him. But I, I but I kind of expected them to. I don't know, to, to be really disappointed in their experience and coming all the way from Japan and getting to Memphis and kind of be like, what, this shithole? Like, what, this place? And that's not the case. They are excited to be here, despite the fact that there is this broken down train station, that there is a, a, a constant architectural um, reminder of how things used to be, that, that train station they arrive in. You can tell that, you know, probably three, four decades ago, that would have been a bussing metropolis, a really a, a really busy transportation hub. Or the studio that they go to, it's this tiny cramped place, but it, it, was, it was an incubator of such talent and of such development, and all these buildings that are boarded up, what what were they at some point? What, you know, what, what business did they house? You know, what dreams, what hopes did this 
city do these buildings maintain or 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 incite really and they're not there anymore but there's a relic of them there there's sort of um a smell lingering in the air or a note has been played and yet you can still kind of hear the vibration of of the chord you know you know it's fading but it's still there because it was there at some point and it was strong at some point and i see that in jarmus's films um i see him acknowledging and sort of reminding us of, of this legacy that, that these American cities used to have. Um, and there is a pride in that as well. There, there's an American pride. We kind of, um, at our most cynical, we kind of, uh, you know, especially people like myself on the left, um, are, are very cynical and sarcastic of this uh, um, idea of Americana, of like, hey, you know, made in America, that's not a, that's not a thing anymore. That's not what we are. We've moved past that. Um, but there, there is something to be said about being prideful of, of, of what we were and where we came from, even if we're not that anymore, but just recognizing like, hey, that's where it was at some point, and that was important, and we, can't, we couldn't have gotten here if we weren't first there. Um, that's also a, there is, um, it's not a wholesale good thing. Certainly um, in the city of Memphis, and certainly a lot of cities in the South, there's a history of uh, segregation of racial tension um, of racial violence even and, and on this idea of this unease between a black and a white uh, population which we see embodied although not really delved into in the um, the, the Steve Buscemi I believe is I forget his name is it Charlie but his character um, when he's when he's uh, comes to the bar and is trying to um, talk some sense into uh, his brother-in-law, not his real brother-in-law, though, in Joe Strummer. Um, he was like, oh, that, that's, that's, a, that's a black bar in a black neighborhood. He's very nervous. He doesn't want to, like, touch anything or run into anybody. There's just this really unspoken tension, which in itself is a recognition of the past that this city still holds on to, to a certain degree. Um, and, and, and there's... there's Oh, that that picture that I posted on Facebook, uh, I said that th- this this shot is equal parts um, morose and peaceful to me, and it's true. Those two things can exist at the same time. It is peaceful. There is a quietness. There is a a time to kind of sit and contemplate because business and population has left. Now, admittedly, Mystery Train is not taking place uh, on purpose. It is not being set in the the bustling, you know, uh, busy downtown metropolis area of Memphis is sort of these, uh, the, the quiet, forgotten corners, um, or, or the places that 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 um, are in transition between. Um, at one point, we were this thing, and then the business has left. But they, you know, these these buildings haven't been torn down. Gentrification hasn't hit yet. There's this idea, this unspoken, um, subconscious idea, almost excuse me, of transition, of moving from point A to point B. Um, we saw that in Patterson. Patterson, like as I said, a, a city in which its industry has left. Um, but we also have uh, on, a, on a, a surface the character of Patterson whose job on a day-to-day basis is to go from point A to point B. Yes, we could argue the nitty-gritty of a, of a bus stop going to many different points, but he's, you know, he's driving back and forth. There is his entire 
occupation is to transition from one point to another. Um, in Dead Man, the, it's a journey. It's not only the, the train journey, you know, going from far away from Cleveland, where William Blake comes from, to the Pacific Northwest, like traversing that great distance, but then also going from the city into the woods. There's another point of transition. There's another traversing to do and going from industry and 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 tangibility and 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 finance into sort of a a spiritual acceptance and a spiritual truth that they arrived and it's these distances that these people are traveling whether it be a metaphorical distance or a literal distance and there just is this idea of excuse me of transitioning of traveling and it makes sense um in in the context of who jarmish is and, and 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 during what time or era you know he kind of came into his own or, or at least started developing as a filmmaker you know not just coming from ohio to new york city which is itself is a big transition is a big cultural shift but also um the fact that he you know that he he started making a name for himself that he started getting noticed in the 1980s you know when we were when you were transitioning from uh you know uh jimmy carter into ronald reagan which was a huge uh socio-political shift here in america and then also on an artistic front the idea of of this this new wave of 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 independent filmmaker was 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 you know starting to rise again sorry you know you had the the fall of the new hollywood system in you know the late 1970s you know jaws and star wars kind of put a nail in that coffin but then in the mid to late 80s and into the early 90s you had once again this new wave of independent american filmmaker kind of covering up covering up coming up that was also, you know, going to shape the business and reshape it and, and reshape this artistic voice that was going to be very much in opposition to or contrary to mainstream cinema and how that was developing in the 80s, you know, with with franchise and with series with like Rocky and Rambo and Robocop. Well, Robocop is not a great example of it. Um, but just this idea of what we sort of have as as, you know, this this development of mainstream kind of superficial service level Hollywood entertainment and this young American um, independent wave, which is coming up, um, uh, and how those kind of stood in opposition to each other. Once again, you know, sides, transitions, you know, this idea of things changing. And I, and I see that embodied so beautifully in Mystery Train. Um, even this, there's even this idea of um, um, something which is. Something which is kind of consistent throughout, uh, you know, throughout time, or, or, go, or you know, a thread which is being carried throughout a, you know, as, as time progresses. I see that embodied too in in, in the running jokes um, that is, you know, that are present in all three of these films. Um, in Mystery Train, you sort of have everyone noticing that, you know, when they get to the hotel room, there's no TV. Uh, that's mentioned in all three segments. Um, in Dead Man, it was sort of this this question of always like, hey, do you have any tobacco? You know, it's kind of um, no matter where they are or, or, or where the character is or who they meet, that's always kind of a question, which is like at the beginning and then it's there at the end. And then in Patterson, you have, um, I forget his name, but it, it's sort of uh, Patterson's, I guess he's a supervisor who every time, you know, who's, they have they engage in kind of the same conversation every single morning. Like, he, ready, Patterson? He asks him how he is and he says, well, I'm not great, actually. And it, it's just, there. there's this... It's a, it's a running joke, you know, it kind of becomes funny because of its repetition, but it's also just this idea of that consistency of hanging on to something which is the same as time passes, as things develop. Um, 
whether it's progressing or regressing, that one thing is kind of being carried throughout. And I find that very interesting as well. And now, I, I know I referenced it, but so this idea of, of, of how does this play into Dead Man, which uh, is, you know, once again, it's, it's not, it, it doesn't really deal with the city. It doesn't really deal with anything. I'd say it doesn't really have to deal with uh, necessarily the, the passing of anything other than, you know, outside of an individual level. But even think about what kind of film is Dead Man? Dead Man is a Western. The Western genre is one which was, you know, created, you know, could have only really probably been created here in America, and one that that at, at in in the peak, and you know, the 1950s, you know, was was a huge genre. You know, you couldn't spit without running into a spit without running into. That doesn't make any sense. You couldn't spit without hitting a Western film, um, ranging from middling ones to really great ones you know westerns were huge westerns were you know sort of you could argue the quintessential american drama drama genre westerns were the quintessential american genre there we go that's what i was trying to say and yet since the really the 70s uh the western has not really been a very popular genre just like you know the musical or just like um I guess to a certain degree you could argue sci-fi, but I'd say really the, the musical and the Western are, are kind of two of the biggest genres which, you know, had a heyday, and now you don't see a whole lot of them, and when you do, it's sort of kind of a gimmick that can still be great, like a movie like La La Land, which, you know, David Bax and I are quite big fans of, but you don't really see musicals very often. When you do it sort of an event, you don't really see Westerns very often. When you do it sort of a, a gimmick uh, or 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 uh, 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 there, or there's a twist on it. You know, it's not a straight up western. It's sort of a a western mixed with something else, or it's a genre with western elements. Or if you do see it, it's typically in the independent realm, um, and there is some type of uh, kind of subversion being done to it. I'd say the last. Um, feel free to disagree and chime in, but I, I'd say really the last kind of straightforward, really great um, western picture we had was probably the Coen Brothers' True Grit which in itself was a remake of a, of a previous Western. And then perhaps before that, maybe you could say or you could argue for Unforgiven from all the way back in 1992. So the Western genre is not one that we really see a whole lot anymore. Um, and so that in itself is this idea of something which was once great, which was once prevalent, and is no longer that. So it kind of makes sense that Jarmusch would at some point get to making a Western because that in itself is an American thing. This thing that we were once so prideful of, that was once so prominent, that was once tied into our identity so strongly and is not there anymore. Um, you know, has really died out. It is still, we still have a notion of it. We will never really forget it. It will never be gone, but it's never going to be as strong as it once was. Um, it's an elegy, you know, it's, 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 it's a love story to, to America, basically. I, I mean, I, um, I, I don't, I, I won't say that Dead Man is, I'm not saying Dead Man is explicitly a love letter to America, but it just seems like Jarmish has this appreciation for America, for Americana, but he focuses on it in a way which is not flag-waving, but it's also not cynical. It's just a sort of recognition of like, this was and no longer is, but it's important to see where we are now. It's important to see this transition. It's important to 
to remember the way things are. And, you know, you, and, and you see that in um, Patterson, which is, you know, focusing on a story of a poet, a guy who commemorates things um, through his poetry. You know, a, a small event will be commemorated forever in regards to a poem or, or a book or a film that's written. Or in Dead Men, you see it with, um, with uh, nobody who, who has this wisdom and this knowledge of, of the way that things are and, and, and what we're losing because we're, we, they were transitioning from, you know, into a, an industrialized society. And, and in, in Mystery Train, you have that in regards to these, these truths that are, being, that are being always going to be remembered because of the music that we have from Elvis Presley, from Carl Perkins, um, from these people that came out of a specific place in a specific time. And so that memory will never be gone as long as their music continues. But the studio is going to go out of business and the hotel is going to close and these buildings are going to close and they're eventually going to be torn down and they're going to be replaced by something else, which is probably not going to be what it once was. But it's important to remember where we came from or where it came from because time doesn't stop because the train keeps moving because we are always going to be moving forward i'm not necessarily going to say we are always going to be progressing but we are always going to be moving forward um oh the music stopped thank you um though hopefully the music doesn't stop in a a metaphorical and figurative sense um i, I mean i'm even seeing um I, I think we can even see another level on this in regards to how cultures are crossed in Jarmish's films. Um, in Patterson, you have Patterson and his um, his significant other, who is uh, clearly not a, 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 an English American woman. Um, she is is clearly from a, a different uh, a different ethnic background. In Dead Man, of course, we have the relationship between the Native American and, and nobody, and the 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 straight up. Caucasian city man in William Blake, and then in in Mystery Train you have uh, a few different ones. You you have a, a you know on the surface you have this Japanese couple who have come all the way from Japan to America to to Memphis Tennessee, but then you even have um, and you have the uh, Italian woman who is in Memphis because her husband has died, so she has to come here. There's also something before I before I forget about. Now well, of course the music begins again. Um, I I found that there's also something. Um, a few minor things which seem to be so quintessentially American in that second story, uh, a ghost story, I believe it's called, um, where the magazine, you know, the guy who, who runs the newspaper stand, uh, you know, swindles her into buying more magazines and more newspapers than she needs. And this, and this, this, uh, the, the, the guy played by Tom Noonan who tries to sell her on this story of, of Elvis's ghost. And there's something which is so, I say this kind of like laughing, uh, not in a damning way, but there's something so, that struck me as so American of like trying to swindle people out of like, hey, you know, outsider, let me sell you shit you don't need. Um, uh, but so anyway, but so you have uh, that woman who's you know this Italian woman who is uh, far away from her home and her culture as well, and then also just the the um, the mixing of races of the people who have different uh, a, a different approach and and response to the city. Uh, that they live in between Steve Buscemi's character and I'm I'm sorry I, I'm completely blanking on on the other character's name but then you also have um, Screaming Jay Hawkins as the desk clerk or the the hotel desk clerk and, and his project who are just kind of like they carry on throughout the night as though this is just like business as usual for all these people who are checking in who are 
clearly going through something who are in unknown territory, whereas them is just kind of a steady hand. Um, and I find that so fascinating. Um, doing a little bit of research that I did today, I, of course, because Mystery Train is in the Criterion Collection, I had to stumble upon uh, the essays, and there's two of them for the Criterion Collection, one of which is a bit more specific towards Memphis, which I didn't read. Um, but then we have this other one that I'll, uh, I'll read from Dennis Lim, and hopefully I remember to post this on the Facebook page. I'm typically pretty good about that. I think I may have forgotten to do that uh, with Chimes at Midnight. Was it Chimes at Midnight or was it F for Fake? I think it was F for Fake. Anyway, um, but uh, th this is just the opening paragraph, which I thought was so emblematic of, of Mystery Train and everything that I've been talking about, um, in which he says... All writing is travel writing, the axiom goes, and for Jim Jarmusch, perhaps more than any other filmmaker working today, all movies are travel movies. It's not a slight to call him the epitome of the filmmaker as tourist. In a Jarmusch movie, the simple fact of being somewhere new, somewhere potentially confusing, is nourishment for the senses, tonic for the imagination. Um, and it's just that sense of, of what we get, of how we're sharpened, of how we are changed by... By traveling, by transitioning, whether it's from going from point A to point B, geographically or chronologically or emotionally, yeah, all writing is travel writing, and and all of Jarmish's films are about travel or about change, and 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 specifically sort of the change of how these American cities used to be, what they are now, and how these people used to be, and what they're going to be, and and changing, and and that's. Once again, you may entirely disagree with me, but that's that's sort of what made Mystery Train make sense to me, what I responded to it. That's what made Jarmusch's films make sense to me, and now how I respond to them. Um, it was Mystery Train that did it, and it did it in a wonderful way. And it's actually kind of funny, um, tying in once again to this idea of, of how, how there's, you know, of going across cultures. Specifically in the first segment for Mystery Train... Um, I was reminded through the cinematography of a Wan Kar Wai film, um, and let me just look it up real quick. I believe it's Fallen Angels. Um, yeah, yep, yeah, Fallen Angels, the, the, the Wan Kar Wai film from 1995, which I covered. That was the very first Wan Kar Wai film I covered way back in February, I believe, of two years ago, thanks to Gavin Mevius. Um, and just this idea of, of sort of how the cinematography, how the, the set design and production design sort of had this, this balance or this contrast between loneliness and sort of urban loneliness specifically, but, but with, you know, but also how in the middle of them was these colors, was a lot of neon and fluorescent lights and that kind of thing. And, and, and I was reminded of that specifically in that first segment of Mystery Train, where, and that's sort of highlighted to me, once again, this, this idea of a vibrancy that used to be there, of fluorescent lights, which, you know, have probably been there for, for decades, and yet continue to shine, continue to try and illuminate halcyon days of Memphis, Tennessee, and yet don't have the glow, the draw that they used to, because who's, who's around to be drawn in by those lights? Who's around to appreciate them? Who's around anymore um, to really be nostalgic for how it used to be. Um, this is a movie, this is fantasy, of course. Um, I'm sure if you would go to, well, this is almost 30 years later now, but I'm sure even if you went to Memphis in 1989, it wouldn't be nearly as abandoned as the film depicts it to be, but it's fiction, it's hyperbole, it is 
fantasy. It's sort of it's trying to make a point about something, and so you have to show those abandoned streets because you kind of have to show that you have to take it a little bit overboard in order to sort of take advantage of what cinema can do, of what cinema can show um, just by commemorating, just by remembering what used to be. And so that's that's what really made Mystery Train stand out to me. I mean, so much so that I'm, I'm kind of debating um, purchasing it and, like, watching it again. It, it's, it's a wonderful film. It, and, and Jarmish is, is I, I can say this now, I think he's a wonderful filmmaker. I, I mean, I, I think it's a, a fine line to balance. I want to be nostalgic and, and elegaic without being cynical, without being explicitly mournful. I think that Jarmish probably does find something sad in the fact that this is kind of you know, how, where we've arrived at now in regards to as a society, in regards to how our cities have changed and that kind of thing. But he, it doesn't seem like he lets his films reflect a mourning quality or a cynical quality. And I really, really appreciate that, especially because in independent film, especially in American independent film, it's so easy to be, to be cynical. It's so easy to be morose. It's so easy to be tragedy porn, basically. Um, and, and Jormish doesn't seem to fill uh, or, or to fall into that. And I, I really, really appreciate that. And I really, really love it. Um, and so I'm, I, lo- I love Mystery Train. And, and I'm, I, it helps me appreciate the other stuff of his that I've seen. Um, and I certainly hope that uh, I, I, I motivate myself to see more of his stuff um, in the future. Um, it, is, uh, it is super easy to, to catch Mystery Train if you feel like you want to see it again. Of course, because it's on the Criterion Collection, or in the Criterion Collection, I should say, you lucky jerks that have a Filmstruck subscription, you can watch uh, Mystery Train anytime you want for free because it's on there streaming. For us unlucky jerks who don't have a Filmstruck subscription, such as myself, um, you're going to have to go to Amazon uh, in order to rent or purchase it, but it's easy enough to get your hands on, um, and I highly recommend you do it. Uh, it really is... It really is a wonderful film. I, I kind of want to watch it again, um, and soon. It was that. It was that great. But that's um, really all that I have um, for Mystery Train. Hopefully, you guys uh, and girls appreciated this episode. Hopefully, you weren't too distracted by um, the fat beats coming from outside. I'm sorry. As soon as that came out of my mouth, I knew that was stupid. But I, I, I do hope that you weren't too distracted uh, by the music. Um, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I really hope you enjoyed this month. I hope that you enjoyed um, Jim Jarmish. Um, if she's listening, I want to thank Kristen Sales for joining me to edify me, to introduce me to the, the delights of Jim Jarmish as a filmmaker. I am really, really uh, glad that it, that it, it happened, that I watched his stuff. Um, always uh, always want to get feedback from you. Um, these days, it seems like the, uh, the, the people are, are taking the opportunity to do so uh, mostly through... Um, comment fields on the battleshipretention.com website. Go to battleshipretention.com, go to the podcast drop down menu, find I Do Movies Badly, and that's where you can find all my back episodes and everything. You can leave comments in, uh, in the comment field. I check that on a fairly regular basis, so I, I'm, I'm pretty good at responding uh, pretty soon after people post stuff there. Um, if I don't respond right away, um, it's it's probably because I'm busy and I will check it soon or because I just don't know <laughs> what to say in response, which is also something that has admittedly happened a few times before. You can reach me directly via email at youdomoviesbadly at gmail.com. Um, you can tweet at me at Nolan Fixes Teeth. 
Um, you can leave comments and chime in on Facebook at facebook.com slash I do movies badly. Um, and that's it, right? I mean, yeah, you, there's I do movies badly.podbean.com where you can also catch up on, on, on my back episodes as well. And also find me on iTunes. Um, uh, find I do movies badly on iTunes, I should say, um, because you're um, probably not going to be able to find some of uh, some of my episodes uh, going way, way back because iTunes, of course, only allows you to post or show the last 100 episodes and I don't have 100 episodes I have more than that so you're not going to find them uh not you're not going to find everything on there which is probably for the best because the early stages of I do movies badly are between you and I and everyone who has listened to those kind of rough but yeah um so it's uh it is the end of the month which means that next month is a new theme um I just like I did last year um, I'm pretty sure that what I'm going to do is just sort of the the I Do Movies Badly summer recaps, which is just going to be um, me bringing back a, a guest from the past and just sort of like talking uh, talking through the films and, and, and about this filmmaker. Now that we're sort of on equal footing, now that we can kind of talk about them not as a as one person edifying another, but as two people who have opinions about these work uh, or, or about this work. Um, it's also it's summer. I've got a whole lot going on. Um, work and personal life are going to get busier because some of my coworkers are going on vacation. So there's going to be a whole lot of stuff to do. I'm trying to be a lot more active in some of my other personal creative projects and stuff that I'm working on in my life. So I just I don't I don't really have the bandwidth in July to to kind of do another full month of things. So admittedly, I'm being a little bit lazy. Sorry, it's the summer. Um, if there's any time when when I can really kind of get away with being lazy, I think it should be the first full month of summer. Um, what you know, I, I think we're all we're all slugs at this point, right? I mean, we're out of school. We're kind of. Is anyone that listens to me actually still <laughs> still going to school? But you know, it's it's summer. It's summer vacation, and I'm kind of like uh, that. That July for I do movies badly is going to be sort of um, emblematic of that. I don't know who my first guest is going to be for the summer recap sessions, um, but I'm thinking that I'm going to bring David back uh, to talk about uh, Kim Ki-duk because, man, I need to give that guy a piece of my mind. Um, probably Douglas McCambridge to talk about Andre Tarkovsky because, man, i got to give that guy a piece of my mind. Um, and uh, maybe, um, well, you know what? I haven't actually really decided yet <laughs> what I'm going to do. Um, but it's it's gonna be you know it's gonna be fun. It was fun last year. I'm sure it's gonna be fun again this year. So um, if you're gonna if you if you only want something new and you can and you feel like hey I'm gonna tune out for July, completely understand that. Just be sure to come back in August where I'll be doing some new stuff. So um, and and that's that's why also why I'm doing this so that July can give me some time to kind of hopefully lay some groundwork in regards to um, finishing up sort of the. Well, I guess by the time we come back in August, it's not really. Let's just say that the last half of the year, basically. I mean, I know we're more than halfway, but just the remainder of the year, I kind of hope that I can lay some groundwork and kind of get some new and exciting stuff going on for the rest of the year. So, um, yeah, so thank you for listening to this episode. Thank you for listening to all my Jarmish stuff. Thank you for listening this year. Um, I really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, be sure to, uh, to tune in next week. Uh, well, or be sure, I, I just I should say, just be sure to tune in next month where I'll be doing the summer recap sessions and we'll hopefully I will be just a little bit less ignorant.
This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.